0: Thank you and good afternoon and thank you to Wayne and Catherine Reynolds uh, not only for inviting me me here but for inviting you here. This is a celebration of freedom. Uh, We talk, lawyers talk often about the exercise of freedom, that's the technical name. Uh, But we ought to think more often about the celebration of freedom. Not long ago I was uh, coming back with my wife Mary from a trip uh, and we were at Reagan National Airport and the baggage carousel was going around, our baggage uh, was not on it. I went to the baggage claim attendant and said, uh, my baggage uh, is not on the carousel. And she said, has your plane landed yet? <laughs> uh, I, I, I couldn't resist. And I said, no, you're you just see a faint reflection of the existential self. Uh, but uh, th- this, this, th- this, this meeting uh encourages us to ask who we are who we are and uh, uh Americans Americans believe in freedom uh that's our identity that's our self image if you ask an american who he is who she is uh they tell you well we're from many different ethnic backgrounds many different religions but we have this thing called the constitution that we believe in and it's the constitution that creates what lawyers call freedom And in the formal constitution, we have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, but more basically in our culture, we have freedom to think, freedom to dance, freedom to sing, freedom to hope, freedom to dare, freedom to dream, freedom to plan. And we identify our culture with our freedom. And that's very good because it gives us a link with our constitution, with our legal legal institutions. But there's a slight downside and that is if people don't respect your culture then they won't respect freedom and as important as freedom is please remember the jury is out as we try to make the case for freedom and the jury is hundreds of millions billions of people who are skeptical and they are waiting for you to prove the case Freedom is not something you inherit. You don't take a DNA test to see if you believe in freedom. It's taught, and teaching is a conscious act. Now, there are people that hate freedom. That's always been true. Hitler and Stalin hated it so much that they killed tens of millions of their own people just so they could attack freedom-loving countries. So there will always be people that attack freedom. But I want you to consider the people who are watching America and are skeptical. And ultimately, our best security is in the world of ideas, and we must do a better job of explaining the meaning of freedom. When I was listening with awe to one of my favorite authors, Carlos Fuentes, I was thinking of another author, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who wrote One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, a magnificent story about one day in prison through the eyes and words of a a prisoner in the Soviet gulag. And it's a great story of the triumph of the human spirit under the most severe and depressing and torturous conditions. And Solzhenitsyn came to Harvard. He was invited to give the commencement lecture. And if you're invited to give the commencement lecture at Harvard, they think that's like a Nobel Prize or something. And so, of course, I was was fascinated to know what Solzhenitsyn would say, and I was shocked, as many people were shocked, when he attacked the West, and particularly the law and lawyers and legal institutions. And he said, any nation that defines the tissues of human existence in legalistic terms is condemned to spiritual mediocrity. That hurt me, I'm a lawyer. (laughs) And I began thinking about why would he do this? And then the answer came to me. He simply defines law differently than we do. In his tradition, in his country, in his heritage, in his experience, law was something cold, threatening. It was a mandate, a yukas, a diktat, a decree. For us, it's liberating. It guarantees you your freedom. Now, how are you going to make the case for freedom? Let me suggest two priorities. First, we have to show that because freedom is based on tolerance, that we are a compassionate, caring, concerned people. And we must do far more to elevate the human condition. Rwanda happened on my watch in my adult Lifetime. 800,000 people killed in 100 days. And we said, after, just like we did after the Holocaust, or World War II, never again. And in Darfur, you have what looks like genocide in slow motion. Crime takes different forms, there's not the dramatic onslaught with such horrific dimensions of Rwanda, and yet it's steady. steady. And not only American culture, and American institutions, and Western culture, and Western values, but the efficacy and the efficiency of world organizations are on the line, and world organizations ought to be called to account for failing, just like domestic political entities are. I'm not sure what will happen in Darfur. We're working now, we, the government of the United States, uh, with other nations and with the four nations of the African Union to see if we can stop it. But the verdict is out on that too. And if you, for some reason, can stop the suffering and the death and the rape and the pillage and the violence in Darfur, you have to go just to the south to Uganda where tens of thousands of children every year are sold. Women into sexual slavery, men and boys into cannon fodder. It's one of the places where there's trafficking humans, which is about 600,000 a year, and there's studies on this. It gets into dry, like, technical terms there, exporting countries, uh, transient countries, and receiving countries. And then you have to look at the water supply problem. And some of your speakers have told you about it. In Africa alone, one of the greatest problems of daily existence is to find water. What's the biggest cause of infant death in underdevelopment countries? Diarrhea. Uh, especially for children with a small body mass, quickly dehydrate. There's nothing for the heart to pump against. The child dies. It takes 8 billion hours a year to get water in Africa. Most of that work falls on, is, is woman's work. When I heard this statistic, because I go to water lectures once in a while, I was like, like you. I said, well, is that 8 million? And I started playing with the zeros. I said, well, maybe it's 80 million. Then I checked with the speaker after. He said, well, it's 8 billion, but that's a conservative estimate, especially because the water is contaminated most of the time by the time it gets to its, from its source uh, to the home. You can fix this. This isn't rocket science. This is not rocket science. And the world community and the leading nations of the world ought to insist that corrupt governments cannot stand in the way of protecting their own people. So that's the first thing you must do in making the case for freedom. Is to show your compassion by deeds and by acts and by accomplishments, and by holding your government and international institutions accountable for the results. And remember, the fact that we communicate our values so easily in the world of telecommunications and, in, and, in, and, in, and increased information sharing works the other way too. We may be in a quiet where a tsunami of hopes and expectations and disappointments come back in against us and, make our, and makes our case harder to win. Now the second thing we can do is to improve the dialogue that we have with other countries. We have a false image, a stereotype, a demeaning stereotype of many people in the Muslim world. And they have a false image. They have a false image of us. And if you have two conversants to a would-be conversation, both of whom have a wildly false image, a stereotype of the other, you have the dialogue of the deaf. Or another metaphor, words in a vacuum and words cannot pass through a vacuum. And you must remember that behind every stereotype there is a man who seeks respect, a woman who claims honor, a person. You you must pierce through this stereotype in order to rekindle the dialogue of freedom, in order to sustain these ideas which are our best security, I have the feeling that we're stalled, that we're not making progress in the world of ideas. And yet, when I see you and the young people that I teach. I see an altruism, a moderation, a balance, a civic commitment, a decency, a morality, a commitment to freedom that I'm sure will sustain us. And as you teach us how to do better, I wish you well. Thank you very much.